Hello, you're listening to the Australian Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name's Valerie Koo and you can find us online at writerscentre.com.au. We're Australia's leading writing centre and you'll find a wealth of resources on our website and blog, including interviews with authors, writing tips and valuable ideas on how to get published and write with confidence. Whether you're interested in writing a novel, short story or articles for magazines, you'll find information and courses to help you get there. Or if you want to hone your business writing skills, we can help you too. Our presenters are the best in the industry. Our team is passionate about all things writing and in these podcasts, we'll be talking to best-selling authors on their craft. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. Hi, my name's Danielle Williams. I'm from the Australian Writers' Centre. Today I'm speaking to Karen Turner. She's a writer from Melbourne and she's just published her first novel, Torn. Hi Karen. Hi. Tell us a bit about the novel, Torn. Well, Torn was a uh, concept that probably started maybe five or so years ago. I had a couple of characters in my head and um, I really liked them and they just started to develop and create personalities and... And maybe I became a bit fixated on these imaginary people, but then I started envisioning scenes for them and things that, um, you know, environments that they would be in and situations that they would be in and um, circumstances and the way they would behave. And suddenly a story just started to evolve, so I started writing. So tell us a bit about the story. The story, it's set in um, the Regency period. And that was the, one of the reasons I chose that period was because a lot of people are fascinated by that period. And, you know, we've got the Jane Austen type of uh, genre that is, is very well read. And to me, I like the Jane Austen stories. And, you know, and Lizzie Bennet, obviously, Pride and Prejudice, is um, a wonderful character, but I felt I couldn't really relate to her as a person and people like her in her, those types of um, characters because... They had real emotions and real passions and real desires, but because of the times they lived in, they weren't allowed to express them. So I thought, well, these really are real people. So um, my characters live in that time, but they have real passions and they have real feelings and real anger and real motivations for doing the things that they did. So this story is about Alexandra, mm-hmm. and she's, it starts off with she's 14, and she's growing up in a, a family in the country. They're, they're moneyed people, they're well-to-do, um, and, but as a woman in those days, she didn't have choices. She didn't get the choice to go away to university, and she didn't get the choice to marry where she wanted. And throughout the story, this is a coming-of-age story for her. She falls in love, but she's not allowed to marry the person she loves. She's actually betrothed to marry somebody else because it's a beneficial arrangement for the family. And the person she's betrothed to marry doesn't like her either, but he doesn't have any say in it. So it's really her story, her struggle, her growing womanhood with the backdrop of the war, with uh, Napoleon that was going on in those days. And um, her family is involved in that. Her brothers go to war and uh, there are consequences to the family for that. Yeah, sure. Uh, so when when you came up with the characters, uh, I mean you've kind of explained your motivation for setting it in that in that time, but it's mm. also set in England. So I'm curious about what made you want to set it in that time and place. Mm-hmm. If the characters that came to you were set there, or if it was something that came later, and what appeals to you about writing 
for that period? I love history. I love reading history. The sort of book that that is is the sort of book that I would like to read. So I think it just fell naturally into place. It's set in a, a town in Yorkshire, just outside of Leeds. It's an imaginary town, but it's actually based on a town that I lived in for a number of year, uh, number of months. And um, so I felt very close to that region and it just seemed natural to set it there. Um, where I lived was very close to Howarth, where the Bronte parsonage is. So we've got the, the Charlotte Bronte and Emily Bronte background and I visited their parsonage and felt very close to that environment and thought, yeah, this is where my characters are going to be. This is where I have to set my story. The story is set in a town called Woolston, which is a, a fictional name, but my descriptions of it are of the town that I lived in, mm. yeah. in Yorkshire. So how much research is involved oh, when you... Yes. Okay. And how, how, did you, how did you plan that research and how did you know when to stop and start on the writing process? It's very hard to know when to involve the research and when not to. I was very conscious of putting facts in the book for the sake of putting facts and then sounding a bit pretentious by doing so. Um, but then there were things I researched that I didn't use. For example, one of the characters comes back from the war and he has a sword, which gentlemen of the day carried swords with them. Um, I thought, I wonder what that sword would look like. So then I started researching swords that were used during the war swords that were carried for dress purposes um, by the, the young gentleman and got an idea of what it looked like, what it felt like to hold. I looked up pictures of it and you know, looked up things about how they were created and I learned all about these swords but then never actually used it in the oh. book. But to me it created a, a setting and a place and um, helped me to perhaps visualise the character. Oh. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought so. <laughs> and then I learned stupid things like the fact that um, Silent Night was written in 1812. Like, who cares? But And I didn't use that. But at the time I thought, I wonder what's popular around that time. So I started looking at things that might yeah. have been popular, things that were um, part of people's culture and the way they lived. Mm. And then other parts of the research I did use, like uh, what they wore, what they ate, how they lived... Um, what the war was like, what it meant to the families back home when their, their men went off to war. Mm. So there was a lot that I used as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, you've, you have actually planned this story as a trilogy. That's right. Are you working on the next book? The yes, yes. Right. The second book is going to be called Inviolate and it's due for publication probably about this time next year. Right. It's um, in its first draft at the moment. And then I'm hoping that there'll be a third one mm. the following year. Right. Yeah. So have you... Is the story already planned out for you for all three books? Yes. Or is it... Okay. It's all up here. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And how do you plan a trilogy? Is, is there a process for that or are you really working on one book at a time? It's funny because I've read a lot about other writers who... Um, work on things one book at a time but for me this was an entire story that just evolved in my head and then I thought this is way too much for one book it's going to have to be two and then when it evolved a bit more it became three um, so I'm, I'm hoping it won't become four yeah. but um, it's it is all in my head and I had, I had to actually break it into chunks to make it readable to mm. make it interesting to make it 
not so weighty that people are going to be scared of it. Yeah, yeah. Because sure. it could go on forever. But um, it is all planned in my head. Mm. Okay. Tell us a bit about the publishing process because you are self-publishing these mm-hmm. books. That's right. Uh, what does that involve exactly? Well, for me, it involves having a lot of say over how the book looks, for example, and how um, it's it's put together. Um, I I knew right from the start what I wanted this book to look like, and I had discussions with Palmer Higgs, who did publish it for me. Um, and I, I actually knew that it was going to look like that and I kept insisting to them, no, it has to have an oak tree and no, it's going to have to look like this. And so um, my husband trawled the internet. We actually purchased photographs from the internet that people sell and I picked out the tree that I wanted and, um, and then sent it to the publisher and said, this is what I want, this is how I want it to look. So, and I had that much control. I also had a lot of control over what it would look like inside. They sent me all these different um, mm. concepts of how, you know, what paper we would use, what font was going to be used. Did I want a nice, pretty capital letter at the beginning of each mm. chapter, or did I not? So I had control over that as well. And to me, that was very, very rewarding because this is my baby. Yeah. And you know, I see it now, and it's exactly as I envisioned it to be. Mm. And the, the self-publishing process enabled me to do that. It also was very painless. I didn't have to deal with people that didn't know who I was and rejected me. I, you know, there was no um, real problem with getting it out there. Sure. Um, it was just a matter of saying, "This is what I want. This is how I'm going to do it." And, and yes, I'm prepared to pay. Mm. Um, because that's one of the other things, you know, if you have a publishing house that does it for you, they bear at least part of the risk, whereas I'm bearing all the yes. risk. Yes, and, and I was going to ask you about, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to ask you exact figures, but I assume you have to be very careful in how you budget this and oh, yes. you order and, and that sort of thing. Exactly. How are you managing that? Well, process? I think one of the biggest things for me was when we went to the first print run, um, I had to think very hard and I spoke with um, the publisher, I spoke with my publicist, I spoke with a number of people to find out what their needs were going to be. The publicist needed copies of books. I needed copies of books. Mm. Um, we've engaged a distributor who needs copies of books. Having said that, do I want to spend a lot of money having boxes and boxes of books printed only to keep them forever in my cupboard? So we went with quite a small print run to start with. And uh, it was, like, I think, about 400 books. And I probably kept maybe 50 or 60 of those for myself because um, we were doing an official launch and we had various right. events and things like that. The rest of them went to um, the distributor who got the bulk of them and my publicist got mm. a, a, probably a box or so of books. Yeah. And that way... Um, you know, I've paid for them, but I don't get them, and they're out now in bookshops and things like that, thanks to the distributor. Mm, mm. But it was a big question for me because it's not a cheap process. It was very expensive, and um, you know, the book owes me a lot of money. Yes, but um, the pleasure of seeing it there and the pleasure I'm receiving from people who are enjoying reading it makes it all worthwhile. Mm. And. You've, you're going through a distributor. Yes. You've hired a publicist. Yes. How important do you think it is to, I guess, um, 
hand those processes over to professionals rather than try to take it on yourself. I'm not because many self-publishers would just oh, yeah. try and do that themselves. Yeah, yeah, they would, and that's great. I have friends who are self-published and and they are very good with that. I'm not. Um, I know my strengths lie in writing the book, not in marketing myself. Mm-hmm. So um, I engaged a publicist because that's what she does. That's what she's good at. Um, there is no way I could do that for myself. I'm just not the, talk, the type of person to do that. So if, if somebody said to me, you know, do you suggest I use a publicist, I would be suggesting they look at themselves and, because it's a huge job. Mm. And I know that Tamara is working very, very hard to contact people like yourselves and I couldn't do that. I couldn't put myself out there that way and it, it would be very confronting for me, way too confronting mm. for me. The distributor, well, I'm, I'm amazed at how that works. I was Googling the book um, on the internet the other day and found that there are bookshops in the UK carrying it. Now, right. there is no way I would have done that. I wouldn't have even thought of that, but there it is. You can buy it online if you live in the UK. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there is a benefit to that. Mm. It's going to, um, you know, the distributor takes a margin from the book sales. That's fine because if you didn't get it out there, it wouldn't be sold at all. Yes, that's right. So it would be in a box in the corner of my room. Mm. So I would recommend that you use people like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, just back to your writing, mm-hmm. um, you also write short stories. Yes. And you published a book of short stories that's as right. well. How is the process of writing a short story different to the process of writing a novel for you? The biggest thing with the short story is trying to capture a moment in time in a very small number of words. With the novel, I could um, take a little bit of licence because it could be as shorter as long as I wanted it to be. But with a short story, nobody wants to read a short story that goes on for you know, 80,000 to 100,000 words. So it, I really, I think, um, enjoyed the process of learning how to be economical with words. Okay. So being able to say something that might take a dozen words in maybe six words and learning, it, it really extends your vocabulary because you're yeah. able to con- concisely express a thought or an expression or a, a description in many fewer words and to me it's a challenge but it's also fun and then when you you get this final product that's maybe you know 2,000 words and it has a start an ending and a body you think hey this is really doable and this is fun to read and they're fun to write so, so do you still write lots of short stories now not so much at the moment um I'm, I'm actually employed as a, um, a technical writer. I write okay. um, financial articles for various publications. So that kind of takes my mind away from it. But again, because the articles that I write are limited in words, they're usually 400 to 500 words, and they're usually quite technical, mm. I, I have to learn, and I think the short story practice is helpful because I've been able to you know, really um, bring things down to, um, I'm trying to find the word I'm thinking of, but really just to bring things down to much fewer words. Yeah, and yeah. Um, and it's, a, it's a practice. So again, is there a switch when you go from your technical writing 
day job to sitting down and writing the novel? How do you get your brain into creative I can't gear? do the same thing in one day. Okay. I just can't. So, um, unfortunately, most of the time I have to write technical things. But if I've decided I'm going to write some fiction, it has to be a separate day. I can't just take off one hat and put on another one. It just It's like I have to clear my head totally. Right. Um, and then I have to have my office set up just so. I've got to have my coffee, usually chocolate. Um, I have to have cleared everything. No housework needs to be done because they'll all be sitting in my mind. Uh, I have my cat, I have the window and the birds outside and everything just perfect. I'm probably a bit OCD with it. But, um, and then I can sit and write and then I can lose myself. I can go to another world. I can go to the 1800s or I can go wherever I want and... My husband will come home from work hours later and the place is cold, it's in darkness, so I'm starving and I haven't noticed. Mm. So I've spent the entire day in another world. But I have to separate it from the short stories yeah. or from the technical mm. writing. So do you have to plan time then? Do you, do you deliberately you know, schedule in, OK, this is my writing day, so the house has to be clean, yeah, the yes. cat has to be fed. Yes. Is that how you approach it? Yes, exactly. Yeah. When when it comes to writing articles for my day job, that's a day job. I just go in there and I'll, I get it done mm. and come out for a cup of tea and do whatever I do because it it can be fairly intense, so you, you're constantly clearing your head mm. and you don't get lost in technical stuff. But um, if I've decided I'm going to write some fiction, then I'll plan it for that day next week when I've cleared my desk of all the other obligations I have that's my day and I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write so I'll go out for a jog in the morning and I'll come in have breakfast, you know, do what I have to do and then just get everything so mm. and I usually have some classical music playing in the background and I'll just lose myself yeah. Yeah. Did it take you a while to realise because I assume you've been a technical writer for a long time yeah. um, that this is your first novel and the short story it was your first published yeah. um, book. Um, I mean, had you always planned to write fiction at some stage or was it just something that came to you after? I don't know that it was a plan, but I remember as a little girl, and I would have been 10 or 11, making my own little golden books. And I used to... Do you remember those? Yeah, yeah, I do. And I used to write stories about my brother and my pets and my family and then I'd illustrate them really, really badly and staple them all together and then I'd have them all... all these little stories that I'd written and then at some point I just forgot about all of that and got caught up in, you know, growing up, getting a job, getting married and, you know, life sort of runs away Mm. with you. And then... um, yeah, I was there a trigger then that sent me back to that? Yes, there was one day I was working in an office and I was the only employee based in Melbourne and it was a boring old job when there was nothing to do and mm. so I was trawling the internet one day and I came across the Society of Women's Writers and they had a short story competition and I thought, this could be fun. So I wrote... A short story. I just sat there at my desk and wrote this short story and sent it off the next day and it won the first prize in the competition and I thought, well, there could be yeah. something in this. This is exciting. And when they phoned to tell me I'd won the first prize, I thought, get away. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, that's not happening. But then I went on to write more and won more awards and thought, hey, there's something in this. And 
what's more is I'm really, really enjoying it. Mm. But at that point, I'd already had ideas for my characters for this mm. book, but they'd not actually formulated. So as I started writing the short stories and realising that people were liking the way I write, people like my writing style and it works, maybe I should start writing down um, Alex and Patrick's story, mm. which is what Torn is. There you go. Yeah. Just one final question for you. Mm. What is your advice to writers, new writers? Just start writing. Don't don't delay. You know, if it's in your head, get it down. You can always tidy it up later, but the most important thing is just start. Mm. Because if you don't start, you never start. Um, and I started, and yep. now, you know, I have a book that I'm proud of. That's excellent advice. Thank <laughs> you very much, much, Karen. Thank you. Good luck with the book, and good Thank luck you. with writing the second one. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the team from the Australian Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name's Valerie Koo. You can find us online at writerscentre.com.au and discover details about our courses, seminars and popular online learning programs where we help students from all over the world. I'm author of the book Power Stories, the eight stories you must tell to build an epic business. And you can find out more on my personal website, ValerieKoo.com. That's Valerie, K-H-O-O.com. Thank you for listening.